This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Phil is the author of The Life of Yogananda. Uh, uh, we are uh, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. We are a podcast, and we are now also a YouTube channel. So if you go to Spirit Matters Talk, uh, and uh, if you go to youtube.com and, and put in Spirit Matters Talk, uh, we'll come up so you can not only listen to us, but uh, you can see us. And uh, and if uh, whether you're listening or watching, uh, hit the subscribe button. It's free and uh, to subscribe to us. And uh, we want to uh, make sure everybody knows our archives are available to everyone for free. And uh, we have uh, around 300 uh, interviews in there. We have a real uh, wealth of, of uh, information and lectures on contemporary spirituality. For those people that have contributed to help keep us on the air, we thank those folks, and if anybody would like to do that, go to spiritmatterstalk.com and that will be explained to you. This is the 75th anniversary of the publication of the book Autobiography of a Yogi, a book that has influenced probably millions of people worldwide. Uh, it certainly had a big influence on me and many, many, many people I know uh, and got their spiritual juices flowing, got them interested in, in uh, uh, seeking uh a greater spirituality in their life. And we are very fortunate today to have uh, two folks on who have been uh, carrying on the teachings of Yogananda, uh, Nayaswami Jyotish and Nayaswami Devi. Uh, they are uh, spiritual directors of Ananda Worldwide, which traces its lineage to Yogananda and his line of gurus and has spiritual community centers, meditations uh, centers worldwide. Thank you so very, very much for taking the time to come on uh, with us today. Oh, we're very happy to do so. It's certainly a privilege to do anything uh, uh, to celebrate Yogananda in this great book. Yes, well, thank you for having us, and I look forward to an interesting discussion. Okay, great. let's start. Uh, first, we should re uh, let re listeners and viewers know this is the second time you've been uh, guests uh, on our podcast. The first time was in our pre-video days, but so if you want to hear more from uh, Jyotish and Devi, please uh, go to our archive and find the first interview with them, which will be a little different from what we're focusing on today. Um, tell us to begin with, since we're celebrating uh, the autobiography of a yogi, how each of you first came into contact with the book? Uh, what, what were the circumstances? What was the impact? Well, maybe I'll start. I graduated college in 1966. I graduated from the University of Minnesota. And like quite a number of other people, I went to uh, San Francisco, which at that time seemed to be the magical place where things were happening, certainly that weren't happening in Minneapolis at the time. <laughs> and so during that time, within, oh, the first four or five months, I began getting interested in the New Age spiritual scene and had the book Autobiography of a Yogi recommended to me. And I read it. Uh, thinking, or I picked it up thinking I was just reading one more in a long series of books. 
But honestly, for me, that was the catalyst that changed my life. Everything subsequent to that, I could have a pre-autobiography life and a post-autobiography life. And certainly for me, it, it was the catalyst for that. Uh, interestingly, my story is parallel to Jyotish. We, of course, didn't know each other then. I was graduating from the University of Wisconsin in 1969, I was in my last semester, didn't really know what to do. I was an anthropology major and I was accepted into graduate schools, but I, I just felt like something was missing in my life. I took a class that last semester on the mystical poet Blake, William Blake, and someone in, I met in that class handed me autobiography of a yogi. And I started reading it. And to be perfectly honest, unlike Jyotish, here's where our stories diverge. I was so preoccupied with getting through finals and what am I going to do next that I started reading it, but I couldn't get into it so much. But then the same friend who handed me autobiography handed me a little teeny brochure. This was 1969 about a Nanda meditation retreat. And when I looked at that, I thought, that's my next step. This was the retreat founded by Swami Kriyananda, who was a direct disciple of Yogananda's and was our lifelong teacher for the, the next 50 plus years till his passing in uh, 2013. But when I came to Ananda and met Swami, then I started reading autobiography and then it, I was ready. Then it revealed itself to me. And when I listen to Swami give discourses on master's teachings, we call Yogananda master. I, I just knew, I thought everything I learned in college really didn't have any lasting impact on me. I mean, it was all interesting and nice, but it wasn't that relevant to what I really wanted to know. And then when I heard Swami speak about these teachings and heard uh, and read autobiography, I thought, this is my next step. And I, after that, that was my life course. Uh, you uh, together uh, travel the world, uh, spreading the teaching of Yogananda and instructing students in the path of Kriya Yoga. Explain to, uh, to our listeners uh, and to those viewing us, uh, what, what is Kriya Yoga? Okay, well, Kriya is a technique of meditation and um, Yogananda has a chapter dedicated to that in autobiography where you'll find uh, some more information. But essentially, Kriya in meditation is a technique, as I say, of meditation, where you revolve with your concentration and a special breathing technique, you revolve the energy up and down the in, inner spine or the astral spine. And in doing that, it magnetizes that inner spine helps withdraw the life force into that inner world, one might say. And then at the end of uh, the practice of a Kriya technique, which can take anywhere from, oh, I'd say five minutes to 45 minutes, depending on how many you're doing. At the end of that, then you do one last Kriya and you uh, met, uh, bring the energy to the spiritual eye. And uh, 
that withdrawal of life force allows you to meditate much more deeply than you would without uh, that or a very similar technique. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I'll also add that um, the teachings of yoga bring us this perspective that all of our past karma or samskars are, we carry them with us as energy fields or the word in Sanskrit is vrittis, vortices of energy, locked up past mm -hmm. actions, thoughts, and so forth. And these are all, they reside in this astral spine that Jyotish has been mm -hmm. speaking of. And so with the revolving of this energy up and down the spine, Yogananda teaches that you magnetize the spine and begin to break up the uh, very tightly bound karmic knots or vrittis, vortices, and release them. And so we've been doing Kriya for uh, more than 50 years. We have a number many friends who have been doing it. And really what you see in people who practice Kriya over time is an increasing transparency, increasing freedom, increasing sense of joy. And it's, um, as we say, there's an interesting chapter if your viewers, uh, listeners want to know more in autobiography called The Science of Kriya Yoga. Uh, I will get back to the autobiography, which is our main topic. But since we went here, um, our listeners are probably curious now how they can learn Kriya Yoga. Uh, there are methods available, Yogananda's methods available just on the internet. Some uh, require uh, an initiation and a commitment. Could you e explain some of that? Yes. Um, first of all, there are a lot of teachings now available on the internet. Uh, we carry on a very active Kriya Yoga ministry here from Ananda. And so we've trained, oh, tens of thousands, tens of, thousands of people uh, in the science of Kriya Yoga. We also, because we're widely available, ananda.org is widely available on the internet. We have a lot of people who connect with us. What we have found is that while you can find the technique online without any preparation, we have found very, very few people who continue a practice with a technique found that way. It's like they haven't earned anything. They haven't, uh, they haven't prepared the soil and just to find uh, some cheap seeds and scatter them uh, doesn't really work very well. And so um, Yogananda, uh, his lineage taught that Kriya should be given with an initiation and that there is a transference of energy through the lineage that happens in that initiation. That coupled with very extensive training and very extensive support for a person's practice afterwards allows uh, a much, much, much greater rate of success for people who get initiated. But if any of your uh, viewers, listeners are interested, if you go to Ananda, A-N-A-N-D-A dot org and look at online classes, 
we have a year-long training program to, and that you can take entirely online. There are people from all over the world enrolled. And then we even have the initiation online, also in person, but at Ananda Village and in some of our other, in all of our other communities. But uh, there is a, a fee for it, but it's very modest. It's not, uh, we're not doing it to make money. We're doing it to share it and to cover the costs of maintaining a website and staff and so forth. So if people are interested, you can uh, take free how to meditate classes online from Ananda and then begin the step-by-step -step training for the initiation. And uh, I must say the testimonials we get from all over the world are very, very gratifying, very beautiful how people's lives are changed through this training and practice. Tell us a little bit about your community and uh, who's there, what do you do there? Can people visit there? Uh, if somebody wanted to live there, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, one of the main goals of Yogananda, especially toward the end of his life, was to establish communities where people uh, practicing these techniques could live together. Those of your viewers who are at all familiar with Yogananda know that he was at one time the most popular speaker in the United States. Mm -hmm. And he went for years on what he called his spiritual campaigns, um, went across the nation. I don't know how many. He must have visited 50 to 100 cities in this country and would give not only lectures, but series of classes. Mm -hmm. So he trained or taught certainly in uh, more than 100,000 people during that time. But toward the latter part of his life, he uh, established a, a center in uh, Southern California in Los Angeles. And he wrote more including wrote the autobiography of a yogi at that time. Our teacher, Swami Kriyananda, came during the last three and a half years of his life. And he said that <clears throat> during that time, Yogananda rarely missed an opportunity to talk about uh, living in community together. He really thought it was the right style, lifestyle. And so... Uh, Swami Kriyananda hearing that also he had his own individual interest in it, picked up that banner and he established the first community, Ananda Village in 1967 and then subsequently established six more commu live-in communities where a group of anywhere from 50 to about 250 people live at Ananda village, um, can live together, practice together, support each other in uh, not just yoga, but in all kinds of other ways. And, and do these, people have other jobs outside of the community and, it's mixed. and live there and maybe mixed. be an accountant? Yeah. Yeah. Many, yeah. I'd say about two thirds probably work in the community in our very, we have a school, a beautiful school that's open to the public. We have uh, a, a wonderful market. We have gardens. We have our outreach offices. We have our guest retreat. You asked about people visiting and it's open. We're just starting to reopen post pandemic. 
we closed down for the past year and a half, but it's in the, up till the pandemic, it was open 365 days a year and beautiful uh, temp meditation temples, very gracious rooms, wonderful vegetarian meals, instruction and in yoga postures and uh, meditation. So guests are very welcome in that way. And one more question, Phil. Uh, and that is, can people go there for the day or for? Yes, of course. Yeah. In any time. Any time. And just to add, in the month of April, we have beautiful gardens. And we plant in one particular area of the community for the, just that one month, we plant tulips in the fall that bloom in April. 10,000 tulips. Wow. All different colors. And we had from all over California last the, we didn't do it last year, but the year before, we had over 10,000 people wow. visiting for the day, just coming to see the tulips. And it's really spectacular. I'm going to try to make that sometime. Oh, yeah. Should. Oh, you have to. People have said, who world travelers who have come said they've never seen anything like it anywhere in the world. And then the setting are the Sierra Nevada mountains. So you, you're standing in this tulip garden and looking out at the Sierra Nevadas. It's quite magnificent. Phil has been here at Ananda Village quite often. Have you ever been here for the Never tulips? for the tulips. I've been to Amsterdam for their tulips. People <laughs> say, I've never been to Amsterdam, but people say this is better. Yeah. better. Tulip festival there is fabulous, but yeah, uh, I'll have to make a point of coming in April next time. Come together. <laughs> and I will say it's a beautiful uh, place. The village is beautiful. The set, the, uh, the, uh, uh, ex accoutrements, everything is beautifully maintained. And I have to say that about Yogananda. Um, I always would say that he had the best real estate karma of all the gurus. <laughs> you just, if you've come to Southern California and even in India, all the locations of the, you know, different offshoots of his lineage, they're always beautiful and beautifully maintained. Even the ones he, you know, that were established long after, you know, he passed. Um, to come back to autobiography, uh, you mentioned uh, your uh, mentor, spiritual mentor, Swami Kriyananda. He discovered Yogananda because he read Autobiography of a Yogi when he was a young man in New York and got on a bus and went to L.A. to see if he could uh be a disciple and was, um, and he's not the only one who did that. Um, so getting back to the book, what was it in your case that made it such a springboard? What was it that, because the book is multifaceted. There's, it, it, you know, it's one of the interesting things about the book. Right. It's called an autobiography, but it's 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 a lot more. In fact, there's so much left out. I felt compelled to write a, a biography of him. Right. So so it's other things as well. And in my experience, different people are uh, sparked by something different aspects of the book. What was it for you? Well, for me, I was really interested in consciousness. I was not religious at all. I had become an agnostic because the church that I grew up in just didn't answer the questions. I studied psychology, trying to find what the 
what is consciousness? What is the scope of our minds? And nothing answered it. I was kind of at loose ends. And then I read Autobiography of a Yogi. And oh my God, I mean, it, it just took the top off of anything that I had conceptualized as the scope of human consciousness. Now that alone would be interesting. But what really made it for me with that book is the obvious authenticity of it. I don't know of any other book that certainly is written as interestingly and as charmingly as the autobiography that is written by a real yogi. You have books about saints, about uh, yogis, about experiences, but very rarely do you have somebody who you obviously know is telling the truth, talk about his experiences. And so for me, that authenticity and the scope of consciousness portrayed through saints, through experiences, through philosophy, all the multiple facets of that book. That's what really had the impact for me. I couldn't, I couldn't argue with it. <laughs> which is unusual. Yeah. Which is, yeah. <laughs> A couple of questions. Wait, wait, wait. I want to hear, I want to hear Davy's answer oh, okay, to that question. Okay. Well, well, mine's fairly different. You know, I was telling, talking with some friends this morning, Autobiography was published December 1946. So it'll have its 75th anniversary. And by the way, Phil, your book is such a gift to everyone who's read Autobiography, your biography of Master, because it does fill in the blanks. And I hope, I hope any of your listeners or viewers do take the time to read it because it's a, it's a gift to any spirit. You hear that, spirit. listeners? You hear that? Yes, and I... And that was unpaid. It was unsolicited. (laughs) Anyway, so I was born December 1946. So it was almost as though I've always felt Master wrote that book. And then, and many of the founding members of Ananda were born at that time, a month, few months on either end. And it was like that book came out and we just said, okay, if you're here, I'm coming. And we, we just think we came down and we incarnated. But for me, reading the book, I really, I really felt that it was the closest friend I'd ever had. It was like someone who totally understood my problems, who had a way out, who was on my side, who was there to help me. And I just felt this is the best friend I'll ever find. So that was my connection with it. You know, uh, two questions. I just thought of this now. Uh, Autobiography of Yogi, what a a great title. No wonder why so many people, including myself, were drawn to the book. And I was wondering where that came from. And also the influence of the book I was thinking about. I mean, we know uh, what you have done and Kriya Yoga being taught worldwide. Well, about well, over 50 years ago, I got involved with uh, Transcendental Meditation. And back then, it was all, all that stuff was new to me. If I asked people that were involved in TM back then, well, what got you involved? How did you learn it? By, by far, the most, uh, it was autobiography. They read autobiography of Yogi. And all of a sudden, we got to get this. Whatever it is, wherever we can find it, in whatever form. And so I have to think whatever uh, spiritual group you go to, 
even Christian, uh, uh, you know, other, you know, mainstream religions that have mystical traditions, autobiography. I matter of fact, I have a friend who's a Trappist monk in a monastery in Atlanta, and autobiography of a yogi had a huge influence on him and his, mm. his path nice. in life. So it's, it's very difficult to measure the extent to which that book, and who knows what the world would be like if that book had not come out. You know, I often yeah. think of that too. It, anyway, so uh, I guess it's all speculative, uh, uh, you know, but it's, it's you know, you, you drop a, a rock in a, in a pond and it's like this. Well, this was a big rock and a big pond and it sent some very nice waves out there that I think counteracted a lot of not so good stuff that was going on. Yeah, Just and I think yeah. there were a lot of people who read that book who figured they better drop their little pebble in the pond too. Right. And so it not only affected the first generation of readers, but then from that affected millions more. Yeah. But that's an interesting thought. What would our world be like today if that book hadn't been written? Yes. Yeah. Scary thought. Yeah. I have a, a specific question because I come, I've been, uh, this has come up so many times in my conversations with people. Um, one of the, the uh, standout features of the book, and there are many, is the, uh, all the what people would call miracles and wonders and, and the depictions of uh, cities, of, of super, what we think of as superpowers or powers of uh, consciousness that you know, yogis perform, because there's a lot of it in the book. Right. And um, people react to it in different ways. I'm curious what your experience is with all the people you know who've been influenced by the book and, you know, not only devotees, but lay people and, and people who are just come across it. Uh, you've, you've probably encountered hundreds of such people. Uh, how do people react to that aspect of it in your experience? Right. Well, first of all, it's a great attractant. Who, who doesn't like a good miracle? Let's face <laughs> yeah. it. But, but the difference here is at least twofold. There are probably many facets to it. But, but Yogananda, almost all those miracles, he either witnessed himself or he knew directly the person who, uh, who did witness it. So it was not at arm's length. It was the actual witness uh, of it and, and the verification that such things can happen. You know, it starts out with his own father um, being doubtful about the, the uh, advantage of having a guru. And then one of the line of the master's manifests in a wheat field on page eight in the autobiography. So there's, there's that first hand or second hand at most uh, uh, veracity to it. But I began looking at those miracles and Yogananda uses them in a very interesting way. If you look at them carefully, almost all the miracles start out with someone who is either skeptical or someone coming from a lower state of consciousness. And then the miracle happens 
And it's not like, oh, wow. It's like, oh, wow, I'd better do something about it. And so almost all of them are presented as kind of the flash, but then the story behind it is the change of consciousness that happens when you see the result of somebody who is able to raise their consciousness to these high states. So the, the first part is, oh, it's really interesting and flashy. The second part is Yogananda showing that these miracles are not really miracles. They just are what happens to someone who lives in a high state of consciousness. And, you know, uh, you were mentioning the title of autobiography. The original title was Yogi Christ of Modern India. And he later changed it to Autobiography of India. <coughs> but he wrote that book primarily for the West. It, it's, he came to America in 1920. And uh, as you know, just on the eve of his departure from India, his guru, Sri Teshwar, said, don't become, forget you were born a Hindu, but don't become an American. Take the best <laughs> of both worlds and be yourself a child of God. And when I read more and more stories from Phil's book and elsewhere of what he did in America, he did that magnificently. He became not an American, but he was a blending. He was an amalgamation of the best of both. And so I think part of the reason for all the miracles, in fact, on the frontispiece of the book, he has the quote, lest he see signs and wonders, he shall not believe. And so that's why he put them all in there. You Westerners, you're skeptical. You don't have the same natural uh, integration of God and devotion into your life. I'll give you some miracles that will cause you to maybe rethink a materialistic way of life. So, <clears throat> but again, in the one time, Swami Kriyananda told us that once one of someone said to Master, uh, Your detractors are saying you're losing your powers. And Yoganandaji said, I don't know that I ever had any powers. So <laughs> he did not emphasize that in, in his teachings or in his own life. He had them. He, you know, he raised people from the dead. He did many miracles, but that wasn't what his path was. His path was not to be attached to anything in the world, mm -hmm. but to uplift your consciousness to the point where you realize your oneness with God. We're, we're uh, celebrating the 75th anniversary of the publication of Autobiography of a Yogi. And uh, the book, if you haven't read it, Read it if you if you've read it read, read it again because it'll be a totally different book to you I think and, exactly. and uh, it's also available as an audio book I think Ben Kingsley somebody very with a great voice Ben Kingsley uh, read, reads the book and obviously somebody very moved by the book and also read the life of Yogananda the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru by my dear friend Phil and co-host Phil Goldberg and uh, you know fill yourself up with some good stuff. And uh, uh, I think that's very, very inspiring. And, uh, you know, we look at the world, we look at our lives. There's always uh, the glass can either be half full or half empty. But I think after you uh, read the book, uh, you'll be inspired that uh, the world 
is very capable of, of uh, aspiring to much, uh, a much greater height and that uh, everyone can participate in that by developing themselves. And I think that very much that was Yogananda's message. I um, would like also to add that Swami Kriyananda has recorded an audio version of it. Oh, yeah. And that has the advantage of somebody who lived with him. Mm -hmm. And so that comes through in some of the stories and intonations. Yeah, I mean, right. some of the passages, Swamiji is just weeping as he reads it. Then Kingsley's version is beautiful. He has a beautiful trained voice, but not a disciple. Speaking of different versions. I wasn't familiar with that. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, since we mentioned different versions, the, the version most uh, of our listeners will be familiar with the same one that I read in 1970. How old is that book, Phil? I've had this in, with me for 52 years. Uh, it, I I borrowed it and never returned. <laughs> oh, I don't know what the karma is for that. Well, I know what it is. You it write a biography of Yogananda. Uh, <laughs> that's the that's the karmic uh, debt I had. But um, but uh, Ananda publishes uh, the version with a blue cover that is uh, explained. It, it is the version as originally published with none of the uh, added uh, edits and revisions that were made subsequent to 1946. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, the, and the reason that we did that is, you know, 98 percent. Yeah, there it is. And, and by the way, we're going to release a 75th anniversary edition of it uh, coming up. We'll have that, we'll just post it up on yeah, uh, So great, but explain explain what the motivation was for doing that. And yeah, you know, I would say ninety eight percent of the two different versions are identical. Yeah, but gradually over the years, um, SRF began to make more editorial changes, and from. Ananda's point of view and Swami Kriyananda's point of view, who had lived with Yogananda, it became more and more institutionalized mm -hmm. over time. For instance, just as an example, um, in the original autobiography of a yogi, it says that Kriya Yoga should be learned from a qualified uh, Kriya practitioner. And that got changed to an authorized Kriya practitioner, meaning you have to be authorized by the organization in order to do that. Uh, another, and, and that's just one of, there were, we made about 500 edits, mostly removing, I mean, we didn't change, the, yeah, we didn't make it. We just changed it back to the original. We worked with the we, original. Yeah, we noticed that these there were about 500 of these edits. Also, very significantly from our standpoint, uh, they had removed uh, the last part of the book where Yogananda had a, a discussion about the importance of spiritual communities. He called them World Brotherhood Colonies and how he was dedicated to seeing that happen. 
and and that got got uh, if if not entirely removed at least tamped down but um the vast majority of the two books is virtually identical yeah phil any final comments or oh there's so much more to be said um we'll have to do a third interview we'll have to yeah, well you know um in my in my experience um people come to the autobiography for different reasons under different circumstances Something appeals to them. I know people who think all the miracles and wonders are bull and fictional stuff, but they like other things in the book. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and for some people, uh, the spiritual, you know, message doesn't quite resonate, but they can't wait to go to India. You know, it, there's there's so much uh, that draws people to it. And it is a multifaceted book. And we have to say, um, it's called an autobiography, but there's so much about other people in the book, all the yogis, and great uh, people from history, like Gandhi and Rabindranath Tagore, and uh, uh, Americans, you know, that he, he knew, like Luther Burbank. So, you know, it's a multifaceted book, it's 500 pages or so. So you, you know, People should, uh, even people who read it back when they were hippies, you know, you may want to revisit it now that you're, you know, grandpa and grandma <laughs> and, and take an, a fresh look at it and, uh, you know, and draw, draw from it what, what you can as, at, at this stage of life. Thank you. Uh, I'll have to say that I've read and reread it many times and, it's like a gold mine. There is ore down there that you never even knew existed. So yeah, I, I always think every time I reread it, I thought this must be a different version. This chapter wasn't in it last time. <laughs> but it's the same book, you know. So it it just it speaks to you on different levels of, uh, according to your own development. But I do want to just add this morning we did another interview about autobiography and um one of the things that I think are, is very important as we're kind of coming to the end of our interview here, autobiography is a message of hope for the future. It's, it was written right at the end of World War II after the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And the world at that time was holding its breath. It didn't know, are we gonna blow ourselves out of existence? We, we, <clears throat> we had just been through a horrific experience. And Yogananda talks about Kriya Yoga, the way to uplift your consciousness. He talks about new ways of living. He talks about, well, everything in the autobiography, but he, he said, uh, he talks about world harmony and world unity, and it gives us a vision of the future. And really, I think autobiography of a yogi is a handbook for our times for how people can find a way out of the disharmony and divisiveness and mm -hmm. insanity that we see prevalent in the world around us, greed and mm -hmm. violence and so forth. So I, I really, I think this book is a gift to humanity, whether you ever practice meditation and yoga or not, it gives you hope for the future. Well put, beautifully put. Fine way to uh, end, except for one thing, because I, as co-host of this podcast, 
I have the prerogative of, of promoting something. So I'm going to promote uh, in January, uh, I'm going to be teaching a 10 week course, 10 uh, online on the autobiography of a yogi, where we'll go through the whole book and read it in depth, like, you know, 50 pages or so per lesson for Hindu University of America. So people can go to hua.edu and uh, we'll have it posted up. Good. I'm looking forward to it because I'll get more out of it by, by leading the course, but we want to invite people to do that. We don't usually promote things of our own, but we're doing it today. (laughs) And, and, um, Thank you, Naya Swamis. Thank you so much. Wonderful. It's always a joy to see you. Yeah, for us too. Maybe we'll get to see you in person before too long. Yes, I hope you get to L.A. or I get up to uh, the village. Uh, It'll be a a great pleasure. And uh, enjoy all the celebrations of the 75th anniversary. Uh, I know you have some things coming up in that regard. And uh, so people can go to, uh, is it Ananda.com? Ananda.org, and we'll you can find it there. Yeah, so uh, good. Good luck. good luck with your course, Phil. It sounds marvelous. Okay, be Great well. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you.